This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, December 7th. I'm Virginia Allen. Last night was the fourth presidential primary GOP debate. Four candidates were on stage, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Former President Donald Trump again chose to not participate and instead held a fundraising event on Wednesday night. Joining us right now on the show to break down the biggest moments and policy discussions from the fourth debate is the Director of Government Relations at Heritage Action for America, Sarah Feldposh. Sarah, thanks for being with us. Of course. So this is the fourth debate. This is expected to be the final debate before the Iowa caucuses on January 15th, begin on January 15th. What was different about this debate from the previous three? Well, for starters and and most notable, right, was uh, one less candidate. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tim Scott has has dropped out since the last debate in early November. So that was an absence on stage. And I think, you know, four candidates staring down the camera and the questions from the moderators, you definitely had more time on stage. And I think they kind of broadened up the topics. But, you know, some of the ones that the topics, right, that that stuck out and, and maintained from the last debate, you know, they continued the discussion around the Hamas terror attacks in Israel, you know, border security and immigration, uh, debt and deficit. But then they also introduced some some different topics, and I thought was really good to hear from the candidates and hear where their their head was at on some some topics. Uh, central bank digital currency, for example, that DeSantis brought up. You had sort of bloated government agency topic that was mentioned by several candidates on stage. Election integrity, you know, threats. Threats of the Chinese Communist Party, healthcare was even brought up, which really has uh, been lacking spotlight in in any of the debates thus far. So that was kind of the the top line for me on differences from the last debate in this one. Hmm. And I know one of those other topics that before we started recording, we had mentioned and talked about briefly that was a little bit new to this debate, to the fourth debate, was the topic of higher education and issues there and even some of the things that we've seen recently on Capitol Hill with having uh, three heads of major universities yeah. testify in relation to anti-Semitism on their campuses. What did you make of the discussion around higher education? Yeah, this week was a really big week at the House Education Workforce Committee on the Hill. We had, you know, as you mentioned, three university presidents come in and testify, you know, sort of to what's happening on their campuses um, in relation to the student activity and uh, harassment, really, at these universities. Um, and, and what's what's happening there and the lack, uh, right, of action against some students and faculty members in our higher education system. But I thought it was interesting uh, that DeSantis mentioned the issue, and, and it was actually brought up by him and not a moderator. Um, he had mentioned sort of the, the core problems in higher education, the cost of higher education. Got, he touched on, on student loan issues, uh, generally speaking. But I thought that that is an important moment, right, because we did have, uh, you know, that highlighted in the committee this week, and then uh, to hear from DeSantis on sort of getting out the, the root issues in higher education is an important moment right now. Mm-hmm. Among some of the major issues that were talked about that have been talked about during previous debates, things like the border, Israel, China, things related to gender identity and kids, are there any major differences between the four candidates on stage that you saw come out 
on Wednesday night? Or by and large, do you think all the candidates are, are decently in lockstep on some of those major issues that we as conservatives really deeply care about? Well, I think in foreign policy, you're seeing some differences sort sort of um, come to head, especially uh, in particular as it relates to Ukraine aid and additional aid to Ukraine. You know, as you mentioned at the start of the call, right, I, I work on Capitol Hill day in and day out and kind of advocating for the positions, you know, that we've outlined at Heritage Action that are really informed by the, the, the policy that's, you know, coming out of the Heritage Foundation. And, and it was it was striking to hear uh, Vivek Ramaswamy come out again with his, uh, what he, he dubbed a, a reasonable peace agreement in, in Ukraine, kind of getting to the point that this conflict in Ukraine, you know, isn't going to end well for Ukraine and that Russia certainly does have the upper hand. And that is in stark contrast to the position of, you know, some more establishment foreign policy minded people like uh, Nikki Haley on stage, right? So, that's, an, that's a, a one difference that was certainly highlighted tonight and elevated. I think that they've had that difference, you know, in previous debates, uh, but was really brought to the forefront tonight. It really to the, the uh, quote, end quote, gender affirming care, um, you know, I thought was kind of interesting, the back and forth, the multiple back and forth between uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley on, on a few different issues and kind of going back and forth on the record. Uh, of Nikki Haley um, and her position on um, and what she's done in uh, her state as governor on gender affirming care. Uh, that difference there was was kind of interesting to hear. So I do think you know their records are really coming out to play, coming mm-hmm. coming out a little bit more here. And I think the fact checking is going to be a little bit more significant on this debate than it than it had been on other ones. Hmm. What did you make of the moderators tonight? There were uh, three female moderators, former Fox News host Megyn Kelly, who, of course, um, now hosts The Megyn Kelly Show, her podcast, News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, and then Washington Free Beacon editor-in-chief Eliana Johnson moderated the debate. How do you compare these three moderators to maybe moderators that we've seen at the previous three debates? I thought they did well. Um I think their job arguably was easier. They had less candidates on stage, right? Mm-hmm. Four people. Um, but I think they, it's a tough line and it's tough to balance letting, you know, the candidates debate amongst themselves and show the American people, you know, how they handle differences um, in policy uh, and differences in, in messaging and tone and how they interact with people that they disagree with um, and getting their point across in any given situation. So I think that's good for the American people to see in, in deciding who they want to be their next president. Um, and I think they also were able to pivot to the next topic a little bit quicker and more efficiently than previous debates. Again, I think they did a, a good job, but that's also uh, largely because there were less candidates on stage. Yeah, no, that's a a big practical factor that definitely Mm -hmm. influences it. Well, as I mentioned, the Iowa caucuses begin on January 15th. How many voters do you think are still on the fence at this point about which candidate they're going to support? Yeah, that's tough to say. And I think think many voters in Iowa Iowa would be happy that I I feel that way. Um, (laughs) You know, voters in Iowa really take that responsibility as the first state coming out the gates in a presidential election really seriously. And, and they call balls and strikes, right? I'll say anecdotally, I was in Iowa for the Iowa State Fair earlier this year and talking to a lot of voters on the ground, um, just talking about the issues generally. You know, it wasn't 
a lot of it wasn't a political discussion about it wasn't about any candidate. It was all on the issues. And they really engage with the topics and the policies themselves. And it's much less about the candidates, but really their positions. And and you've seen Iowa Governor Reynolds, you know, endorse DeSantis. And that's uh, that's probably informed and, and swung some voters into his camp. But really, you know, voters in Iowa are still going to evaluate the policy stances that each candidate has. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, the fact that I don't have an answer to the question <laughs> uh, is a good thing for voters in Iowa. And I think they're, they're taking their job really seriously. And that's a good thing. Mm, that is a good thing. Now, of course, Trump did not, former President Donald Trump did not participate in this fourth debate. He hasn't participated in any of the GOP primary debates. Why do you think that he is chosen to either do his own thing, host his own event, or on Wednesday night, of course, he was at a, a fundraiser and chose to give uh, deliver a town hall event um, for Fox News mm-hmm. on Tuesday night instead. Well, I, I think it's a calculated move, right, by by him and his campaign. You know, he's up by 50 points in some polls, and, you know, his lead is, is steady and, and gaining. I think there's that opportunity, too, with Hannity, right? It was... It was uh, center stage. He's able to speak to the voters directly. Uh, that's a strength of his um, in communicating directly with the voters, not not competing for stage time and, and answering um, and waiting for the microphone to come to come on him and waiting for his turn to answer the question. He likes to speak directly to voters. And I think this this opportunity with Hannity in the town hall format really really allowed him that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that going into the election, one of the major issues on the minds of all Americans, it's inflation, it's the economy, and we also know that the national debt drives inflation up and it harms the economy. And that issue of our national debt was one that Trump did discuss with Hannity on Tuesday night during the town hall. Um, what do you think of Trump's comments about the national debt? Yeah, I think he struck a chord with his answer and, and really the whole conversation that surrounded the the national debt crisis, really. You know, he, he's linking fossil fuel production to mandatory spending, which was to say Social Security in this instance. Um, and so I think he was able to talk about both in the same breath. Um, and that speaks to a lot of issues that are on the, the voters' minds right now, right? We have... Uh, you know, a huge resource in the U.S. in, in our ability here to, to drill in the U.S. and to secure energy independence um, and stop relying on foreign nations. And I think that that also speaks to, you know, his acknowledge, acknowledgement that the U.S. has so much opportunity to grow and invest here in the U.S. Hmm. Yeah, so critical. There was um, a, a moment in an exchange on Tuesday night between Hannity and Trump that has been talked a lot, quite a bit in the press and even drew Uh, some attention during the debate on Wednesday night. And that was um, Hannity asked Trump, are are you going to be a dictator? He said, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? And Trump sort of jokingly said back, I love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I say, no, no, no. Other than day one, we are closing the border and drilling, drilling, drilling. Other than that, I am not a dictator. So this has gotten a lot of attention. What do you make of, of these comments and just sort of this exchange between Hannity and Trump? Well, first, I thought the the I mean, it's fascinating framing, right, that, that you know, Hannity teed up the question saying that, you know, a lot of media outlets are are kind of 
painting him in this lens that he is going to be some sort of dictator, whatever that would look like, um, especially considering the administration um, and, and the president that's in office right now. And all of the egregious rulemaking that's coming out of this administration. So to, to really, just the premise of the question, I thought was uh, not necessarily on Hannity's point, but because he was referencing, you know, other media outlets mm-hmm. in the in the question itself. Um, but I, I just thought it's a fascinating dynamic that you have this administration that's coming out with massive student loan, you know, quote unquote cancellation, which is really just a debt shifting scheme, right? And you have... Um, I mean, EV mandates effectively, where it's a gas car ban. Mm-hmm. There's so many things coming out of this administration. And then you're going to ask, right, a, a presidential candidate um, if he's going to be a dictator. <laughs> it's just a little silly to me, uh, the framing of the news media. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, the response to the question was really just a, a reiteration of what would be Trump's priorities, which which mm-hmm. he mentioned were oil production and immigration border security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was very clear on that. Um, Sarah, I want to give you the last word here. Any final thoughts as we go, either in regards to uh, President Trump's, former President Trump's town hall on Tuesday night or to comments made at the debate on Wednesday night? Um, you know, I'll say I'm excited to get into the new year where you have, you know, coming into the end of this year, there have been several debates, you know, it's been an interesting time where you have the former president, you know, separating himself from the group of other candidates that are, you know, dwindling down now. And you've had, you know, in each successive debate, you know, candidates drop out. Um, And at the same time, those scheduled debates, of those scheduled debates, you have Trump either to a town hall or some sort of rally, um, you know, closely related to that timing of the debate. And I'll be curious to see in the new year, you know, as the debate side starts to settle down and you start to see, you know, the the caucuses and the primaries heat up and then moving into March and Super Tuesday, you know, where voters' minds are, are really at uh, in the voting booth. Mm. Lots, to, lots to be looking forward to here. And it's nice we have... Have a little bit of time. Things will slow down a little bit over over the holidays. And um, but we really, really appreciate your time. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Sarah Feldposh of the Heritage Action for America. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. And with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you to our listeners for being with us today. If you haven't had the chance, make sure that you check out our evening show. It's right here in the same podcast feed where every day around 5 p.m. we bring you the top news of the day. Those are the stories that you need to know to stay informed. Also make sure to subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We're across all podcast platforms. Thanks again for being with us today. Have a great Thursday. We will see you right back here around 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.